Father in heaven, I ask for your help now. Thank you so much for Daniel and Greg and what they represent, the cohorts of this seminary and the students of the college. What a gift. Guide and strengthen and protect and empower what I have to say now so that it accords with your word. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. So the question I want to try to answer is why Bethlehem has a college, which includes the question, why do we do it the way we do it? Unless you seminary students think this is less relevant for you, think again. Not only will you have to cast a vision for the meaning of education at every level for your people, but some of you will be called to found colleges and seminaries. Get out of your heads the status quo that says a large university here and a, a large Christian college there will be sufficient for the global need of the coming generations of young people who are saturated with the sacred book, satisfied by the sovereign God, serving Jesus the King with serious joy. That's not going to happen with the status quo. Until Jesus comes, there will be a need for thousands of new colleges and seminaries. Now, most people don't blink at the expectation that our children should be in school from age 6 to 18. Virtually everyone assumes that little children should be taught reading and writing and arithmetic and take six years or so to do it. And we more or less agree that teenagers... 13 through 18 should be taught English and math and history and social science, social studies and, and science and PE. When those 12 years are over and that general education is finished, the common assumption of what to do next vanishes. You can go straight into the labor force and learn as you earn you can go to a technical training school and learn a specific skill that will equip you to do a particular job. You can go to university and get a professional degree and, and work toward engineering or nursing or computer science or business. Or you can go to a school that would be focusing on the liberal arts. Liberal meaning freeing instilling freedom, not liberal as opposed to conservative, but liberal as opposed to constricted, bound, unable to be generous. <clears throat> the best liberal arts education is a Christ-exalting, Bible-saturated, critical immersion in history, literature, philosophy, natural and social sciences, all with a view to forming life-long habits of mind and heart that make a free people 
They're all named on those banners, six of them. The capacity, the habit of mind and heart to observe reality accurately for yourself. Capacities to understand the complexities of a situation. Capacities to evaluate on solid grounds what is good and evil and beautiful and ugly. Capacities for mature, appropriate responses of feeling and emotion. Capacities to take what you have seen, learned, understood, and apply it wisely and helpfully. And capacities to give compelling expression in speech and writing and action to what you know and love. Why would any of you choose one of the four post-high school options? So go straight into the workforce, take a technical course, and get a job, do a professional degree at the university, put yourself in the crucible of a Christ-exalting encounter with the liberal arts. Why, why would you choose any of those? And you know what the most common answer is. Why get a post-high school education? To make a living. To get a job, to be marketable. So if, if somebody finds out you've done a liberal arts degree, they'll say, what are you going to do with that? What money-making job can you get and of course, astute liberal arts leaders have an answer based on the very pragmatic assumptions of the question. I'll read one from the web that I just plucked off last night. Liberal arts graduates are well suited for today's job market. Why? because the state of the economy, technology, broader global perspective had made liberal arts majors and the wide range of skills that they impart more essential than ever before. Employers are recognizing that while employees can be taught the technical skills of a job, the people and the communication skills that liberal arts majors possess aren't as easy to find and teach. End quote. I suppose that's true. It's not the way we answer the question, why liberal arts, however? Why a college education with a focus on the liberal arts? In order to get at the answer that we give, you have to analyze the meaning of the first answer. So let's do that for a moment. What does it mean to say, Get an education so you can make a living, for goodness sakes. Get an education so that you can be marketable. What does that mean? Well, it means at least this. Education should be designed so that you can get a job that makes enough money to provide your basic needs, like clothing, so you won't freeze or be arrested for indecent exposure. 
food so that you'll stay alive and have strength, shelter, apartment or a house so you can get out of the cold in Minnesota and relax and sleep in a safe place and some basic health care so if you get sick you won't die and some transportation perhaps so you get where you need to go and maybe a few um, appliances and tools and toys thrown in. So if you make enough money to provide those basic needs, you're making a living and your education was worth it. Now, there is no doubt that God wills for people to make a living precisely in this sense. To earn enough money to pay for the essentials of life. In fact, the Bible is crystal clear and blunt. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So, we at Bethlehem College and Seminary do not belittle the preparation, the training it takes to master skills to make a living. In fact, just pause and think about it. We are very, very glad that there are apprenticeships and technical training and professional degrees because otherwise we wouldn't be in a building. There would be no heat, no lighting, no roads, no cars, no computers, no medical care at all if those didn't exist. Our special calling in this college is not a belittling of other callings. Is that clear? But training to make a living is not the way we think about education. So how do we think about it? We look at the practical outcomes of making a living and we say clothing is fitting us for something. Food and health are strengthening us for something. Shelter is a place with a purpose beyond staying warm and dry. Transportation is taking us somewhere for something. In other words, the college education we are called to provide is not primarily about providing clothing and food and shelter and transportation. It's primarily about what clothing and food and shelter and transportation are for. Animals have clothing, like fur. They find their food really well. I was watching the squirrels this morning, wondering what in the world they were eating. <laughs> they build their shelters. They lick their wounds until they are clean. And they get where they need to go. We are more than animals, infinitely more. Life 
is more than making a living, infinitely more. What we are called to is educating for that life, the life that living is for. And the biblical answer to what living is for is one, the glory of God, and two, the temporal and eternal good of people. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Living is for the glory of God in the complex cultures of the world. Titus 3, 8, be careful to devote yourselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Living is for that. Doing what is excellent and beautiful and profitable for people. And education is the formation of habits of mind and heart that bring that about, bring about the glory of God in relationship to the, to the complexities of culture and bring about the doing of good and beauty and excellence for the good of people in relationship to the unbelievable complexities of modern life. How does living, all of living, become worship to the glory of God? How does all of living become works of virtue, excellence, beauty for the good of others? That's the question of education at Bethlehem. And, and the quest of that education is made unusually demanding because of the many levels and facets and dimensions of our culture that need to see us, in us, see in us, a living for the glory of God and a living for the good of man in works of virtue and beauty and care. It will take deep, stable, mature habits of mind and heart to bring truth to bear on these levels and facets and dimensions of culture for the glory of God and the good of man. And we believe, and this is the nub of the matter, we believe that in God's providence, the major works of literature, history, philosophy, art, science over the last 3,000 years colliding with sovereign God and sacred book become a kind of educational crucible in which these habits of mind and heart are very fruitfully formed. In the crucible of this encounter, under the prodding of great teachers, students form lifelong biblical habits of mind and heart. And yes, they are biblical 
oh, if I had another half hour. I'm almost done. If I had another half hour, I would love to take each of these six banners, habits of mind and heart, and go to text after text after text in the Bible and make them explode with authority. Because they just look like our ideas right now. They're not. They're written on God's mind for us and on nature. The power, the habit of mind that comes through this crucible of encounter between sovereign God, sacred book, and the major works of 3,000 years of human thinking, the, the crucible in which that happens, guided by a great teacher, is where these six habits of mind are formed. Observing reality carefully for what it really is. Understanding that reality in all of its relevant relationships. Evaluating that reality fairly, truly, by God's sacred book. Feeling, feeling that reality with appropriate spirit-formed emotions and applying all of that wisely for the temporal and eternal good of others and expressing, writing it, saying it, acting it in compelling and clear and honest unadulterated, truthful words. When these habits of mind and heart come under the absolute sway of the sovereign God and the sacred book, I'm going to say this again now. This is my, I'm landing. When these habits of mind and heart come under the absolute sway of the sovereign God and his sacred book, they are permeated with serious joy. Because God is holy, serious, because God is holy and all-seeing, and joy because God is merciful and all-satisfying. The serious, God-besotted joy that happens here in this crucible, these habits of mind and heart formed in that crucible are Christ-exalting, and they happen in an encounter led by gifted teachers with the liberal arts. And we believe when that crucible forms those habits of mind and heart, there is an extraordinary potential for displaying the glory of God for the good of man in the complexities of world cultures. Let me say this qualification again. Not everyone is called to this kind of focused, integrated liberal arts education. And there's nothing to be ashamed of if a young person enters the workforce right out of high school or takes a technical course or does a professional degree because God Almighty is God 
and we'll get his glory and see that people are served in all those ways. But we believe our disproportionately influential little school believes. We believe that there are many young people, thousands of them, around the world whom God is preparing precisely for this kind of education and its unique impact in the world. The kind of education that asks not, how can I make a living, but how can I turn a living into a life for the glory of God and for the good of man in this ever-changing complex world that belongs to God.